Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork. Today, I'm going to teach how to host a Passover celebration and explain why someone who isn't Jewish would want to do that. Today's episode is intended particularly for members of my faith, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but anyone is welcome to listen. So, the first time I ever experienced a Passover was when my older sister, who was then a student at BYU, got to do it. And I can't remember if it was part of a class or a ward activity, but she thought what she learned was really interesting, so she came home for a weekend and shared it with our family. I thought it was interesting and kind of fun and different, but I didn't really understand much about it. Later, my mom hosted one a couple of times over the years, so I was becoming a little more familiar with the Passover. Later, when I was serving as Young Women President, I thought that the Passover could be an interesting and unique activity for the youth in my ward. I had the information from my sister and my mom from when they did it, but I wasn't entirely satisfied because I still didn't feel like it connected to anything in the present. It was just a cultural experience, and I wanted to know more about the why and how behind it. So I began to study the Passover. I started by researching several websites that are created and maintained by Jews to help teach their children about the Passover. What does it mean? Why do we do it? How do we do it? What are the important parts? And so on. I wanted to simplify it so that even a child could understand, and I wanted it to be accurate and respectful to the Jewish culture. Then, when I felt like I had a handle on the basics, I began to study everything in the scriptures, both ancient and modern, that had anything to do with the Passover and the Last Supper. The connections that I found were fascinating, and it deepened my understanding of not only the Passover, but it also brings so much light and understanding to the Last Supper and the sacrament. It also helps us understand the fulfilling of ancient prophecies, some of which have been fulfilled during Christ's lifetime, and some have been fulfilled in latter days, and others have not yet been fulfilled at all. Because of modern-day revelation, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are in a unique position to understand the Passover in deeper and more complete ways than anyone else on earth, including the Jews who are still practicing it today. So, first I'll explain in super basic terms what you do at a Passover Seder, and then I'll explain why it's so cool and how to do it yourself. The Passover Seder is done by following a script that includes saying certain things and eating some symbolic foods. The word Seder means order. The script follows 15 steps. I know that might sound kind of long, but most of the steps are super short and only take a few seconds, so you can really get through it pretty fast. If you'd like, you can light a candle before you begin. Then the first step is to say a blessing and drink the first cup of wine. The second step is a symbolic washing of hands by dipping your fingers in a bowl of water. The third step is a blessing and dipping a green vegetable in salt water and eating it. The fourth step is to break the middle matzah, and I'll explain more about that later, wrap it in a white cloth, and hide a broken piece. The fifth step is to ask four questions, tell the Passover story, and then drink the second cup of wine. The sixth step is another symbolic washing of hands with a blessing. The seventh and eighth steps are a blessing over bread and then over matzah specifically and eating some. The ninth step is dipping a veggie in applesauce and eating it. 
The tenth step is to make a little matzah sandwich. You say a blessing and put a little bit of horseradish and applesauce on the matzah and eat it. I know that might sound kind of gross, but it's really not that bad and you only have to take a bite. The eleventh step is to eat your dinner. The twelfth step is to find the hidden piece of matzah and eat it. And whoever finds the hidden piece of matzah gets a prize. The thirteenth step is another blessing and the third cup of wine. The fourteenth step is the fourth cup of wine. And this is where we fill a cup for Elijah. Then we open the door for Elijah to enter and we sing a song. The fifteenth step is one last prayer. And that's it. You're done. It's not that hard and anyone can host a Passover. I've prepared a script, instructions on how to prepare and set up, and everything. It's all available to download for free. I'll include the links in the description for this podcast. So now I'll explain in more detail how to prepare and why understanding the Passover is so cool. A common question I get is, what do you prepare for dinner? And the answer is, it can be whatever you want. It doesn't have to be a lamb. If you're Jewish, then you would eat food that is kosher, and you wouldn't include anything like pork or shellfish. And of course, during the Passover, they wouldn't serve anything with leavening in it. You also prepare a plate called a Seder plate. Everything about the Passover is symbolic. There's a saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, a symbol is like a thousand pictures. You can convey a huge amount of information in a single symbol. And the Passover is loaded with symbols. I'll explain some of them as we go along, but it's really just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that I could share, but I'll try to hold back so I don't overwhelm you. So let's get back to the Seder plate. It has some special symbolic items on it. It has some bitter herbs. Usually that's just horseradish. And it represents the bitterness of slavery. And it also represents the bitterness of sin. The cedar plate also has a green vegetable on it, like a piece of lettuce, parsley, celery, or whatever. This represents rebirth and spring. The cedar plate also has some apple mixture called cheroset. It's a combination of chopped apples, walnuts, honey, and wine or grape juice. There are lots of recipes available online, but if you want to keep it really simple, you can just use applesauce. The cheroset or applesauce represents the mortar used to build Pharaoh's cities. The Seder plate also has a hard-boiled egg, which represents creative power and rebirth. There's also a bone that represents the sacrificial lamb. For the bone, you can use a chicken leg or another piece of meat that has a bone in it. You also need a separate plate with three pieces of matzah covered with a white cloth. You can buy matzah at the store, or there are lots of recipes available online if you want to make your own. Or, if you want to keep things super simple, you can use something like saltine crackers, tortillas, or pita bread. While these aren't technically the right things, since we're doing this as a cultural experience and not a religious observance, it gets the message across and makes things a lot simpler and easier and cheaper to prepare. These three matzah are the heart of the Seder and point toward the coming of the Messiah. The three matzah represent Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you remember the story in the Bible where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, but then an angel stopped him and he didn't have to follow through. Abraham understood in a way that no one else can how hard it was for our Heavenly Father to allow the sacrifice of his beloved son, our Savior Jesus Christ. The story of Isaac is a type of Christ. In the Passover, the middle piece of matzah, which represents Isaac and is a type of Christ, is broken. 
that represents death. It is wrapped in a white cloth, which represents the burial shroud. And then it is hidden, which represents being buried in the tomb. Then it is later found and redeemed with a prize. And then the last piece is eaten. This represents the resurrection and the redemption. One of the central themes of the Passover is the promise of the Messiah and what will happen to him when he comes. In the Book of Mormon, Nephi teaches multiple times that they follow the law of Moses, but they always explain to the people how the law of Moses leads to Christ. For example, in 2 Nephi 11.4, he says, Behold, my soul delighteth in proving unto my people the truth of the coming of Christ. For for this end hath the law of Moses been given. And all things which have been given from the beginning of the world unto man are the typifying of him. Nephi explains it again in 2 Nephi chapter 25. And the same message is reiterated again in the book of Jacob and the book of Alma as well. In the new world, the symbols in the law of Moses, including the Passover, were always explained about how they referred to Christ. In the old world, somehow, they kept the symbols but forgot what they meant. At the Last Supper, when Jesus was leading the Passover with his apostles, and as he went through the process of dealing with this middle piece of matzah, he said, Take, eat, this is my body. He was explaining that he was the promised Messiah, and he was preparing them for what was about to happen to him, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But the disciples didn't understand at that time what he meant. Now, today, Christians don't perform the Passover as a religious rite because the Mosaic law was fulfilled by Christ's atonement. We use the symbolic ritual of the sacrament instead. The bread is broken, covered in a white cloth, and then revealed, and we eat it. This represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we promise to always remember him when we partake of the sacrament. The sacrament is a simplified version of the Passover, using only those parts that specifically refer to the Savior. Okay, so far we have a Seder plate, which is like a centerpiece, and the plate with the three matzahs, which is also like a centerpiece. You can use just one for the whole group. The leader talks about these and does the part of breaking the middle matzah. There are also ceremonial foods that each person will be partaking of, so you'll need about three pieces of matzah or whatever substitute you're using for each person, and two pieces of the green vegetable for each person. You'll also need a small bowl with water for hand washing. If you've seen the movie Shrek 2, it's kind of like the scene where Shrek and Fiona are eating with the king and queen and they dip their fingers into a bowl. This ceremonial washing is interesting to me because of another reference in the scriptures. If you remember, in the New Testament, the Pharisees rebuked Jesus and his disciples for not washing their hands. It wasn't that they didn't wash their hands. It was because the Pharisees liked that ceremonial washing in the Passover, so they added it to other things as well. Jesus didn't follow the extra washings that the Pharisees added. He was willing to follow everything that his Father in Heaven told him to do with exactness. But he had no intention of following the extra doodahs that the Pharisees and rulers had added, and they didn't like that because it questioned their authority. You'll also need a small bowl with salt water. You're going to dip your green vegetables in the salt water and eat them. The salt water represents the tears of the slaves in Egypt. You'll also need a little bit of horseradish and applesauce for each person. 
You're going to be filling your glass four times during the Seder, so you'll want lots of grape juice. The four glasses of wine represent God's four promises to save his people, and they are found in Exodus chapter 6. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And the fourth cup is the cup of restoration. Some really amazing things take place during the Last Supper during the third and fourth cups. When Jesus came to the third cup, which is the cup of redemption, he told his disciples, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. Another word for testament is covenant. Jesus was explaining to his disciples that he is the Redeemer, and the time for the fulfilling of the covenant of a Savior or Messiah was now at hand. Jesus also said, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This means that when they came to the fourth cup in the Passover, which is the cup of restoration, Jesus would not partake. It was not yet time for the restoration. In the Doctrine and Covenants, section 27, Jesus further explains when he will partake of that fourth cup, that cup of restoration, which will be in the form of a special sacrament meeting, where Jesus will be there personally, along with Adam, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph of Egypt, Elijah, Peter, James, and John, John the Baptist, Moroni, Joseph Smith, and others will be in attendance. And the meeting is about gathering together in one all things, particularly the keys of priesthood authority. This is a super exciting event that has not yet taken place. In the Passover, when you get to the fourth cup, which again refers to the cup of restoration, you fill a cup for Elijah and open the door to let him enter. The promise that Elijah would come as part of the restoration and in preparation for the second coming of the Savior is recorded in the fourth chapter of Malachi, which was written about 400 BC. I think it's interesting that Elijah was given that assignment many, many years before the Savior's first coming. There was a plan from the beginning that the Savior would come once and fulfill a very important mission, and then he would come a second time, this time in great glory. But before that could take place, there would need to be a restoration first. And the preparations were being made for both of those events long before the first one ever occurred. When the angel Moroni appeared to the boy Joseph Smith in the year 1823, Moroni repeated that scripture found in Malachi about the coming of Elijah. He was explaining that the time had come for the beginning of that long-promised restoration. This promise was further fulfilled when Elijah himself appeared to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery in the newly completed Kirtland Temple on April 3, 1836, as recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants section 110. Elijah restored necessary priesthood keys for the restoration of the gospel and the sealing of families. There's a lot more that I could share, but I think that I'll stop for now. I have organized a concise program that lasts about an hour, including the explanation, the Seder, and the meal, complete with handouts, so that people who are interested can look up the scripture references and learn more on their own afterward. And again, all of this is available for you to download for free, and the link is in the description. I've shared this presentation with youth groups, adult groups, and family groups, and I love to see people's eyes light up 
as they make connections that they've never noticed before. And I've helped lots of people host their own Passover experience. And of course, there's always more than one right way to do things. So you're welcome to modify it to fit your needs. I've even modified it to share in the mountains as part of a girls camp. There are many options. I personally believe that it would be wonderful for everyone to be able to have a Passover experience at least once in their lives. We live in a time of restoration where many of the promises made in the Old Testament are being fulfilled. We can appreciate things a lot more when we understand what the original promises were in the first place. In closing, I'd like to share a quote from Rabbi Shim Reishik. He said, The message of the Passover remains as powerful as ever. Freedom is not won on the battlefield, but in the classroom and the home. Teach your children the history of freedom if you want them never to lose it. See you next time on Linda's Corner.